Appendix 3, Hebrews 1, verse 10. Hebrews 1, verse 10 says of the Son of God that he had laid the foundation of the heaven and the earth. There are three, quote, proof texts addressed to the Son in Hebrews 1, 8 to 13. There's no hint in the text that they refer to someone other than the Son. Verse 8 of Hebrews 1 begins, But of the Son, God says, then follow three different quotations. The series ends in verse 13 with a proof that Jesus was not an angel, but to which of the angels did he, God, ever say? Psalm 110 verse 1 is then quoted as referring to the Son, Jesus. Much of chapter 1 of Hebrews compares the Son of God with angels, showing that the Son was never an angel and is superior to them. This proves that the Son cannot be God. It is not necessary to prove God superior to the angels. It is obvious. Equally clear is the fact that the Son cannot be an angel or archangel, as maintained by Jehovah's Witnesses. Both angels and archangels are angels. Jesus was never an angel, because high priests are chosen from among men. Hebrews 5 verse 1. And holy angels are immortal, Luke 20, verse 36, which would make the death of Jesus' Son impossible. What then of Hebrews 1, verse 10? In what sense is the Son the founder of the heavens and earth? How can this be, since Jesus nowhere claimed to be the Creator, and it was not Jesus, but God, who rested on the seventh day? Hebrews 4, verse 4. God, not Jesus made them male and female. Mark 10, verse 6. The Lord God, not Jesus, formed man of dust from the ground. Genesis 2, verse 7. Fifty texts say that God the Father created the heavens and the earth. Luke 1, 35, and Matthew 1, 18, and verse 20, and 1 John 5, 18, not the King James in this case, say that the Son did not exist until he was created or begotten in Mary. Was Jesus both six months younger than John the Baptist and billions of years older? Was Jesus 30 years old when he began his public ministry and yet really billions plus 30 years old? What part of Jesus was 30 and what part was billions of years old? Jesus cannot be so divided up, split in two. Mary bore a human being. She did not bear an angel. She did not bear God. She did not bear, quote, impersonal human nature, as Trinitarian theory says. Mary bore a lineal, biological son of David. Otherwise, Jesus does not qualify to be the Messiah. God cannot be begotten, and the Son of God was begotten. The immortal God... 1 Timothy 6.16, cannot die. The Son of God died. God cannot be tempted, James 1.13, yet the Son of God was tempted. Not to observe these category differences is to throw away precious biblical instruction. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 2, says that God did not speak through a son in the Old Testament times. Verse 2 also says, that God made the ages 
through Jesus. This could refer to future ages, or it may refer to Jesus being the reason for God's creation of everything. Hebrews 1 verse 5, quoting the prophecy of Psalm 2, speaks of the coming into existence of Jesus, the Son. Today I've begotten you. The same verse speaks of 2 Samuel 7:14's promise, given a thousand years before Jesus' birth, that God, quote, will be a father to him, and he will be a son. That promise was given to David, and it referred to the Messiah who was to come. The beginning of Messiah's existence is the moment when God becomes the father of the Messiah. Acts 13, verse 33, refers also to the beginning of Jesus' existence. His raising up, not raising up again, as wrongly translated in the King James Version. And Acts 13, 34, refers to Jesus' resurrection. The same beginning of the Son is exactly what we find in Luke 1.35 and Matthew 1 verse 20. That which is begotten in her is from the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 44.24 says that God was unaccompanied, unaided, when he created the Genesis, heavens, and earth. He was entirely alone. Who was with me at the time of the Genesis creation there was no son with him. Compare Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 2. God did not speak in a son until the New Testament. So then, who said, let there be light? It would be a flat contradiction of Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 2, to say it was the son. The God of the Old Testament is quite distinct from his unique son. The latter had his genesis, the Greek word genesis, in Matthew 1, 18, which reads, the genesis of Jesus was as follows. The Bible becomes a book of incomprehensible riddles if God can have a son before he brought him into existence. Luke 1.35 describes how the Son of God came to exist. He was begotten. To beget in the Bible and in English is a word which of all words denotes a before and after. Therefore, the Son had a beginning. There was a time before he was begotten, before he was, before he existed. If he already existed, these testimonies in Matthew 1 and Luke 1 are nonsense. Mary bore a human being, not God or an angel. Human mothers bear humans. Mary certainly did not just bear, quote, human nature, and human nature, as Mary's son, would not be the descendant of David and thus not qualify to be the Messiah. The notion that the Son of God was in fact God would make a charade out of his whole struggle in obedience to God and on our behalf as Savior and model. The whole point of a high priest is that he must be, quote, selected from among men, Hebrews 5 verse 1. He is, quote, the man, Messiah Jesus, in contrast to his father, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. The father in John 17, 3 is, quote, the only one who is God. If God is the only one who is God, no one else is God except the father, which is exactly what Paul declared when rehearsing the creed in 1 Corinthians 8. Quote, there is no God 
except the one God, the Father, combining verses 4 and 6. If the Son were God, there would be two gods. To call Jesus God and the Father God is not monotheism, however much the label may be applied. The Bible never uses the word God, Atheos, to mean a triune or biune God. In Hebrews 1 verse 10, there's a complication due to the fact that the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 102 from the Greek Septuagint version and not from the Hebrew version of that Psalm 102. The Septuagint Greek version has a different sense entirely in Psalm 102, verses 23 to 25. It introduces thoughts not found in the Hebrew and your English text. The Septuagint says, quote, He, God, answered him, the suppliant, the one praying. Tell me, God speaking to the suppliant, Thou Lord, God addressing someone else called Lord, but the Hebrew text has, He, God, weakened me. I, the suppliant, say, O my God. Thus you see, the Septuagint introduces a second Lord who is addressed by God. Quote, At the beginning you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Verse 25. The writer of the Hebrews had opened before him the Septuagint Greek version and not the Hebrew. Rather, as today, someone might quote the NIV instead of the KJV. F.F. F. Bruce, in the New International Commentary on Hebrews, explains as follows. In the Septuagint text, the person to whom these words, of old you laid the foundation of the earth, are spoken, is addressed explicitly as Lord, and it is God who addresses him thus. Whereas in the Hebrew text, the suppliant is the speaker from the beginning to the end of that psalm, in the Greek text, his prayer comes to an end with verse 22, and the next words read as follows, quote, He, God, answered him, the suppliant, in the way of his strength. Quote, Declare to me the shortness of my days, bring me not up in the midst of my days, your the suppliant's years are throughout all generations. You, Lord, that's the suppliant viewed here as the Messiah by Hebrews, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. The reason for the completely different translations between Greek and Hebrew is the Hebrew vowel points. The sense can be altered if the vowel points are changed, and sometimes it is not clear which of the possible senses is the right one? Thus the Hebrew takes ina to mean he, that's to say God, afflicted. But the Septuagint Greek version repoints the same Hebrew consonants as anna, which means he, God, answered him, the man praying. So then in the Septuagint Greek version, God is answering the one praying and addressing that person as Lord lowercase l-o-r-d. The Septuagint adds Lord in verse 25. Next, the Hebrew has Omar Eli, 
I say, O my God, in verse 24. But the Septuagint Greek version reads these consonants as emor elai, which means say to me, verse 23b, i.e. the person praying is commanded by God to tell God. The idea is that God is asked to cut short the days which have to elapse before the kingdom comes. Compare Matthew 24, verse 22. Psalm 102 is largely about the age to come and the restoration of Israel in the future kingdom. And so it was entirely appropriate as a proof text for Hebrews 1 in regard to what the Son is destined to do in the future. Indeed, his role in the new, not the Genesis creation. This sense is reversed when it is made to support the very unbiblical idea that Jesus was the creator in Genesis. So, this passage in Hebrews 1 is God's answer to the suppliant. He bids him acknowledge the shortness of God's set time, that is, for the restoration of Jerusalem, as in verse 13, and not to summon him, that's to say summon God, to act when that set time has only half expired, while he, that's to say God, assures him, the suppliant, that he and his servant's children will be preserved forever. Professor Bacon suggested that the Hebrew, as well as the Greek text of this psalm, formed a basis for messianic eschatology, especially its reference to the, quote, shortness of God's days, that's to say, the shortness of the period destined to elapse before the consummation of his purpose, that's to say, the arrival of the yet future messianic kingdom on earth. The writer of Hebrews found here the Old Testament background of Matthew 24, 22, Mark 13, 20, and Epistle of Barnabas 4, verse 3. Quote, As Enoch says, For to this end the Master, that's to say God, has cut short the times and the days that his beloved Jesus should make haste and come to his inheritance. But to whom, a Christian reader of the Septuagint might well ask, could God speak in words like these? And whom would God himself address as, quote, Lord, as the maker or founder of earth and heaven? That quotation is from F.F. F. Bruce's Epistle to the Hebrews in the New International Commentary on the New Testament. Reading the Septuagint, the Hebrews writer sees an obvious reference to the new heavens and earth of the future kingdom, and he sees God addressing the Messianic Lord in connection with the prophecies of the rest of Psalm 102, which speak of the generation to come, verse 18, and of the set time for Yahweh to build up Zion and appear in his glory. The important article by B.W. Bacon, alluded to by Bruce above, stresses the fact that the word Lord is wholly absent from the Hebrew and English text of Psalm 102, verse 25, but it appears in the Septuagint cited by Hebrews. I quote again from Bacon's article. With the translation in the Septuagint, he answered him, the whole passage down to the end of the psalm 
becomes the answer of Yahweh to the suppliant who accordingly appears to be addressed as Kyrie, Lord, lowercase l, and creator of heaven and earth. Instead of understanding the verse as a complaint of the psalmist at the shortness of his days, which are cut off in the midst, Septuagint and the Vulgate Latin translation understand the utterance to be Yahweh's answer to the psalmist's plea that he will intervene to save Zion because, quote, it is time to have pity on her, yea, the set time has come, verse 13. He is bidden to acknowledge or prescribe, perhaps, the shortness of Yahweh's set time and not to summon him, Yahweh, when that time is only half expired. On the other hand, he, the Messianic Lord, is promised that his own endurance shall be perpetual with the children of his servants. All of that is from B.W. Bacon's article on Hebrews 1, 10 to 12, and the Septuagint rendering of Psalm 102, verse 23, in the Zeitschrift für die Neutestamentliche Wissenschaft of 1902. This is exactly the point, and it can only be made clear when we see that one, the Hebrews writer is reading the Septuagint, not the Hebrew text, and finding there a wonderful prophecy of the age to come, the kingdom or restoration of Israel, which fits his context exactly, and that two, there's a messianic Lord addressed by Yahweh and invited to initiate a founding of the new heaven and earth, the new political order in Palestine, exactly as said by Isaiah in Isaiah 51.16. This is precisely the message the Hebrews writer wants to convey about the superiority of Jesus over angels. Jesus is the founder of that coming new kingdom order. The Hebrews writer in 2 verse 5 tells us expressly that it is about, quote, the inhabited earth of the future that we are speaking. All this is really not so difficult when this difference in the Septuagint is explained. Both Psalm 102 and Hebrews 2 verse 5 and indeed the whole of Hebrews 1 refer to the new order of things to be initiated by Jesus and it would not matter whether we think of the new order as initiated at the ascension as in all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me Matthew 28:18 or at the second coming Psalm 102 is all about the coming age of the kingdom and the restoration of Jerusalem in the millennium see verses 13 to 22 the writer looks forward to the restoration of the city when God appears in his glory verse 16 the psalm is written for the, quote, generation to come, according to verse 18, and a newly created people of the future kingdom on earth is the subject of this passage. Hebrews is speaking not of the Genesis creation, but the, quote, economy to come, Hebrews 2, verse 5. Isaiah 51, 16 confirms this explanation 
It speaks of an agent of God in whom God puts his words and whom he uses, quote, to plant the heavens and the earth. The word biblical commentary says, quote, that makes no sense if it refers to the original Genesis creation. In the other instances, God acts alone, using no agent. Here, the one God has hidden in the shadow of his hand is his agent. Heavens and land here must refer metaphorically to the totality of order in Palestine. Heavens meaning the broader overarching structure of the empire, while land is the political order in Palestine itself. That's from the word biblical commentary on Isaiah chapters 34 to 66. Thus, both in Psalm 102, the Septuagint Greek version, and in Isaiah, the Messiah is the agent whom God will use to establish the new political order of the age to come. Hebrews 1 verse 10 is a prophecy written in the past tense as customarily prophecies are, but referring to the, quote, inhabited earth of the future about which we are speaking. Hebrews 2 verse 5. That is the concern in Hebrews 1 10. Jesus is indeed the father of the age to come. Isaiah 9 verse 6, as in the Greek Septuagint version. Finally, in Hebrews 9:11, the writer speaks of, quote, the good things to come as the things not of this creation. By this he means that the things to come are of the new future creation. Hebrews 2:5. That future creation is underway since Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God where he is now co-creator under the Father of the new creation. And Jesus has, quote, all authority in heaven and earth. Matthew 28 verse 18. Even the millennial age of the future will be followed by a further renewed heaven and earth. Revelation 20 verse 11 and Revelation 21, verse 1. Once again, eschatology is the great factor in revealing the truth. God has a new creation in Jesus, and we are to be new creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. The world is going to be reborn, and it will come under the supervision of Jesus and his followers. Matthew 19, verse 28. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2 and so on. We must resist the temptation to be looking backwards to Genesis when the whole book of Hebrews bids us look forward to the inhabited earth of the future. Hebrews 2 verse 5. Note that in several places Hebrews speaks of the eternal redemption, eternal inheritance or covenants, eternal judgment, eternal salvation, and eternal spirit of the age to come, Aeonios. Aeonios refers to the future kingdom age to come and not just to eternity vaguely. Christians receive now the Holy Spirit of the promise, Ephesians 1.13, that's to say the Holy Spirit of the promise of the inheritance of the future kingdom, 